Welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. I'm your host, Suze Chadwick, business and mindset coach, author and speaker, and the creator of Brand Builders Academy and the Amplify Accelerator. Right here on this podcast, you'll learn how to create an epic brand and a profitable business and become the creative rebel you set out to be. Now is the time to be courageous and become a bold and powerful voice in your industry. Forget average, it's time to level up. Hey, lovely. Welcome back to the podcast. Amazing to have you here. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. I am interviewing Amrita Mathua, who is the VP of marketing for a company called Superside. I actually used to work with Superside when I was in the brand agency in my corporate life, and I found their business model super interesting. And so I wanted to hear her story. And as I will share a little bit later as well, I think it's really important for us to be able to hear lots of different voices in the business space. One of the things that I have shared before is that in order to stand out, One of the things I love to look at is how other businesses in other industries who do things completely different to what I do, what they're doing, what they're thinking, how they're working. Because when we can learn from other businesses, it can inspire us to think in new ways, to do things a little bit differently as well. And so I think it's really important for me to bring different voices to you to inspire you to think differently about how you can stand out. So let me introduce you. When Amrita Mathur joined Superside as their first marketing hire in 2019, which wasn't that long ago, there was no product, no platform, no reoccurring revenue. No stranger to being called in when companies are at a strategic inflection point with their growth strategy, she did what she spent a career in B2B marketing learning how to do implemented a marketing-led growth strategy that translated into $8 million in subscription revenue in the first year and 800% year-over-year growth since then. I reckon we could probably learn a thing or two, no? Yeah? (laughs) Now as the VP of marketing, her team is revolutionizing design at scale for ambitious brands like Amazon, Meta, Shopify, and Coinbase. So I'm excited to share this interview with you. Now, before we dive in, I also want to remind you that if you are here in Australia and you do want to come to Magnetic Mastery on the 23rd of November, that now is the time to get in and grab your tickets. It's going to be an incredible day focused on you, what you're about, how you bring your magnetic mastery to life through your message, through listening more to yourself, trusting yourself more to create an aligned business. So check out all the details at suzechadwick.com forward slash mm for magnetic mastery and come and join us. But listen, without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode. I'm Rita. Welcome to the Brand Builders Lab podcast. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. I have to say that uh, when the email came to me about interviewing you, I did have a flashback because I used to run a brand agency in a corporate and we used to use Superside. And no. so we did. What? <laughs> Oh my gosh. What? We, what, we what did. Why? Why didn't you say it, say that before? That's crazy. Oh my yeah. gosh. And what so a small I, was, world. I was like, I know that business. I know that oh business. We use that business. Uh, yeah. That was in my previous, that was in my previous life. But 
When I saw what you've done, which obviously I've shared with my audience already about growing a subscription-based business from zero to 8 million, I was just like, let's have a chat. I want to know all the things and I want to know what you know. And I'm sure my audience Mm want to know what you know as well. So before we do dive into all the marketing questions, I'd love to know a little bit about you, like where where you're from, where you're living. How did you end up at Superside? Yeah. Uh, it's all very uninteresting, but, um, I live in, (laughs) I live in Toronto, Canada, which is a great city. I think we rank maybe after Melbourne on the, one of the nicest cities to live in. I think it's like Barcelona, Melbourne, Toronto. I think that's sort of the general three amazing cities. Yeah. Three amazing cities. So yeah, we're like sister cities in that way, but yeah, no, live in an amazing city. I love it here. It's summer, summertime right now. It's like 35 degrees outside. We're all melting. Um, and I have actually lived here for almost 20 years, but I grew up in India, um, and my dad was in the military. So we moved around a lot. Like I never really had roots anywhere. Sometimes people ask me like, where in India are you from? And it's like, I have no answers. Like, I'm not really from yeah. anywhere. Like my, gra- I mean, do you want to know where my grandparents live? Like, I'm not sure. Like, yeah. So that's my, that's sort of like, like where I've sort of lived, and I've been in tech my whole life. I've been in marketing my whole life. I love marketing. Um, marketing has a uh, bad reputation sometimes, I feel, because I think a lot of people conflate marketing and sales and support and advertising. And it's all just like this one big jumble. Um, but like I think marketing, particularly in tech, is like extremely well-defined. Um, And I love that. And I love the guardrails that sort of come with that. And particularly if you're used to working for, you know, perhaps venture backed companies or whatnot, even if it's a small business or a large business that also comes with its own set of guardrails. So uh, yeah, I've just done that for a long time. I love that. Um, So did you study marketing at university? Oh gosh, no. And I hear, I don't know if this is actually true around the world, but I've heard it could be a myth, um, but I've heard that some of the best marketers actually don't have a marketing education or background yeah. at all. Um, I mean, I did computer science, so uh, I don't well, know. Well, that's how like, you ended up in tech. Sort of, but it was just chance, honestly, like so much life is one of those things where you just, you know, you can plan all you want, but things just happen. Yeah. And yeah, like I'm very much like, you know, laid back and go with the flow. I always like to explore. I'm just like, oh yeah, this seems interesting. Let me try that. And I'm tr- always trying to like go after the joy first love it. before, you know, being super intentional and planned about things. That's woman after my own heart. Yeah. That's so (laughs) good. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did you end up in Toronto and how did you end up with Superside? Yeah. So I moved to Toronto a long time ago, you know, the whole, um, went through the whole immigration process, et cetera, just wanted to try something different and I was young and wanted to get away from my parents a little bit. So <laughs> that was helpful. Um, but Superside is uh, is a very interesting company and probably unlike anything else I've done because it's not classic tech. I mean, just for context, for those who are listening, Superside is a design company that's built an amazing creative subscription service. So normally a typical creative agency is like, okay, here's the, here's the stuff that we do. You can engage with us on a project or two or three, or maybe there's a retainer relationship, but we've productized that to such a degree that we've got these like very stringent 
subscription packages that people can subscribe to. And we do that and only that and nothing else. So it's extremely productized. That's our claim to fame, uh, or at least this renditions. And then the second thing we've done, which really creates a lot of scalability and efficiency and cost effectiveness is we've built our own underlying design ops platform that powers all of this stuff. So the, the most simple, minuscule things that take agencies time, like quoting on a project, how do you do an estimate? How do you triage and send it to the right person inside the company to handle? The platform takes care of all of that. Mm. So it's it's like literally for a customer, you go in on your computer, you say, oh, I need whatever, I need 57 versions of this Facebook ad. And like, I need it in two days. And it's like, no problem. And in two days, it'll be the first draft is in your inbox. So like, it's that simple. Like we've tried to create a very frictionless, hassle-free sort of environment. So that's the that's the context. And so why I say it's unlike any other tech companies, because it's, it's still mostly services. It's a people-powered business. We've got this tech platform, but we don't actually sell the tech. We sell the service and the tech is for our own use and our customers' use. Um, and we've thought about like, should we monetize that separately and whatnot? But there's... I think we we fear cannibalization. So our strategy is to to like just use it for to power our own business for the moment at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I ended up here because I was a, at a point in my life where, to be fully honest, I was looking for a company that was uh two things. One kind, like I had this word in my head. I wanted to work for a true meritocratic. Mm-hmm. um kind truth seeking organization and uh super science founders are actually all scandinavian they're all norwegian um uh, three co-founders and um it says a lot scandy yeah. culture is yeah very like blunt and sort of truth seeking and that has just permeated through the whole org and I, and i love that like i think there's really like when people show up to meetings or we're trying to make a big decision and there's all these like you think there's all these like opinions and egos in the room I'd say 99% of our staff is extremely like not like there's just, there's, there's no self. It's, it's very much about the idea. So they've hired very well. And I love the the culture of the company um, and they're a very kind company. I mean, I've, I've gone through some trauma in the last couple of years and man, my boss, like just like showed up um, that's rare. So it's amazing. Yeah. So I was looking for that. And the second thing I was looking for is I wanted to be on the ground floor of a company so when uh, the recruiter who contacted me said, okay, we have like this little thing built here, but it's not quite right. And we're thinking of rebranding and relaunching this whole thing. And would you want to join that? And I was like, mm, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Like, just like full, like literally from scratch. Like, how do you, like, how do you take this kernel of like the, an, an MVP that you've proven mm. and how do you build that into something and something bigger? um, that has wings. And I, and I knew there's a 50, 50 chance it's going to bomb. Um, but I still took that plunge. So where had you come from? Like, what were you doing when that offer came through? I was at another tech company. This was, they were in the educational technology space. So we used to sell to universities, schools, um, professors directly. We had a number of different products. I'd built like a marketplace for them. Um, I had launched like one of their big products and, was building that second sort of arm of that business. Um, and I was leading the demand gen and growth team there. And um, in my head, I also knew actually one additional thing that my next um, 
role should probably be more like a, like I was still reporting to a CMO, but I, I wanted to be the head of marketing. Okay. So I was, I was like, I'm ready to do this. I've, I've done this for like a, a, a long time and I'm ready to do this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just like, check, 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 right. Go all, all the, all the boxes. Yeah. So good. And so when you got there, what was there? So what was there was a company called Consus, K-O-N-S-U-S. Which That's no where, where were we, where that, we with that, you at that time? And then you rebranded gotcha. to Superside. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. So it was called Consus. No one could spell it. No one could find us. Our own customers couldn't find us. Um, it was a very much like a, for, I have a rudimentary term for it. Like we used to call it, like, it's almost like a pay as you go business. Mm. So if you had a single design project that you wanted to get done, um, we were building a service that could get that done. The The challenge with that kind of business is you don't have the time to get to know your customer's business and care about their goals and their objectives. So it was like very transactional and I think we suffered from a lot of issues, including retention, quality issues, customers not being happy, um, this like, you know, unpredictable revenue model, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And you're basically like hanging on by a thread every single month because you're just like, oh, okay, I had a hundred customers this month. Now I have 150, but those like those previous customers haven't come back because they have no need for us. And maybe they'll come back three months from now, but I have no way of knowing. So it was just this like horrible model, no predictability, no forecasting, et cetera. But what was there, the good part was that there was a simple version of the design ops platform that had been built. And we knew that that had something, there was something there. Um, We also knew that a lot of our customers did want to use us more long-term and had the design volume and cadence um, that, that, that needed that support. We didn't have a service that could support that at that time, but we knew we had these customers and we knew that these customers loved us. Um, I don't know if I can actually name them, but a really big health healthcare pharma company, massive company was one of our concepts customers that's still mm. with us today mm. and is like one of our top 10 customers. Yeah. Um, so those were like the early inklings and the founders knew that there was something there. So they had already made the decision before they even brought me on that they're going to try to move to a subscription model, that they're going to have to beef up the actual service, and they're absolutely going to have to hire a crack engineering team to build this amazing design ops platform. And they had already decided to rebrand. Not They didn't know what it was going to be going forward, but they just, in their head, they knew it can't be conscious anymore. Mm. So, so, like, so were literally, you part of the rebrand? Yeah. I mean, I led that. Um with uh with the with the help of a bunch of people of course but yeah first day on the job my boss was like okay here's the drill and we're we should be rebranding think about a great name <laughs> go find the dot com and he was very hell-bent on like the dot com he was like we're not going to do a dot io or dot co yeah. or dot whatever it has to be a dot com um and then you know we really want to move to a subscription model so let's lay all the foundations for that so and so where did big- Superside come from there's so much to unpack there. Oh gosh. So the name, so I, I would say like, if you just think about a rebrand in general, not every company is going to have this opportunity. Right. And I, and I always like to say, sometimes there's a lot of value in your current brand, even though it might be like a crappy name, but maybe you have a big enough customer base. Maybe it's sticky enough that even if it doesn't quite 
work in this day and age, um, it's sticky enough that you shouldn't shed that. Mm. Um, there's actually a lot of companies that I've worked for where the product name, like their main core product is what customers identify with. And I've actually suggested you take your product name and make that your company name. Mm. Um, anywho, that's a tangent. So the, that's the all three... right. We can talk rebranding all day. So good. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's <laughs> I love it. So interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the three things I thought about is like one part is the name. The second part is the visual identity. And I had a, I had a couple of um, very firm ideas and I'll come back to that. And the third part was essentially like, let's have a really solid hypothesis for who our target audience even is, uh, which is obviously like our current customers, our conscious customers, we knew most likely wouldn't be the future company's customers. Okay. We knew that. We knew that that's probably not the case. Why? So we, we primarily ended up serving small to medium businesses. Mm. Sometimes one single person inside a really large enterprise org. Uh, but off the majority of the customers were small, some mm. medium businesses. And they just didn't have the velocity and I think they were in, they were at a stage in their growth where um, it it didn't seem like they would really ever get to that velocity in the, you know, in the next at least three to mm-hmm. five years. Um, perhaps they were more lifestyle businesses, perhaps they were, and nothing wrong with that, right? Like more, mm-hmm. like if you can run a $10 million one person shop, like that's brilliant. Like that's, that, that could not be better, but you don't, you don't need to change that. It's not broken. Um, so, so yeah, we, we had audited our customer base and realized that they're not the majority of them would probably not be future subscription ready yeah. customers. So we had, I had, the first thing I did is come up with a great hypothesis for who our customers could be like, who are they? What sectors could they be? What are the specific use cases where a subscription would be warranted? Um, I, we knew that volume has to do with like to, to, to fulfill the promise of scale, you have to have mm. that desire and that and having been in marketing myself like i could imagine a few cases where that would be necessary so i came up with the hypothesis there's i i knew that there's a few types of marketing people and a few types of creative people that would be great buyer personas for us um and i had a hypothesis for the industries that we would do well with i knew for example we would probably not do well with the big consumer goods companies like a Coca-Cola, because I know their planning cycles are like crazy long. If they're launching vitamin water in Brazil, they've decided that two years ago. Like, you know, they've, they've decided yeah. that so long ago that for us to infiltrate that and be, be part of the process is gonna be next to impossible. So through the process of elimination, I knew these are the industries that I wouldn't wanna go after. So came up with that hypothesis, interviewed a ton of people, like anybody that I could get my hands on that kind of roughly fit that. I interviewed them. I think I did something like 57 interviews in the mm. first month or so. Um, and then just to understand yeah. their design needs. Exactly. Just yeah. to understand their design workflow almost. Yeah. Like what how does it come up? What do you do when you have that need? Do you go to your design team? Do you have a design team? Is your design team centralized? Or, you know, some companies operate where there's design people spread throughout the org. So what does that look like? Is there some normalcy between certain industries? We found, for example, most tech companies operate the same way. They always have a centralized design team. Um, 
sometimes they have two teams, one inside product, one inside marketing, and they, their division of responsibilities properly um, split, et cetera. Anyway, so we we figured that out. But Superside, the name, I, I knew that the name had to be killer. And I knew that it had to be something that would differentiate us from agencies because we ran into this problem and we I knew we would run into this problem where we would either be mistaken for a marketplace and then you have to be like, no, no, we hire all our creatives and they, they're they on our mm. staff. Um, and then we could, of course, also be mistaken for an agency because truth be told, if you just strip the tech and all of that stuff away, you're, we're still offering a service just like an agency does. Um, and I and I actually like to give the Uber analogy. You know, when Uber first started out, they used to call themselves Uber Taxi because uh, they needed to give somebody like that frame of reference. And then eventually they dropped the taxi when people realized, oh, yeah, it can get you from point A to point B, but it's not really a classic taxi service. Mm. So we're in that same spot where we're sort of like an agency, but we've completely changed the model on how that's operated. Um and how that creates efficiency, but it's it's so underneath the hood that it may not be apparent to customers or to mm-hmm. our market. So so I knew that the name had to be killer. I knew that it had to be differentiated from agencies. Um, so we our our process was we kind of started hunting for a name um, first and the visual identity. We started thinking about it, but that we decided that that would come second. Mm. Um, and we, oh man, there was like rounds and rounds and spreadsheets and spreadsheets with rows and rows of names. Uh, but the the one thing we all agreed on, the we had a small group of, I think, five people that worked on the name together. The one thing that we all agreed on was what we were trying to do was had to be like magical and almost like fantastical. Like those words kept coming back over and over. Like it had to be magical. It had to be like out of this world, like very fantastical. And I think someone at some point said had to be super, like it, it's like such a super, like such a, and it's a very European thing to say, actually, mm. like Americans maybe don't say it as much, but yeah, someone said like, this is such a super service. And we were like, oh, there's something there. And then we got introduced to this guy, I can't even remember his name, who actually turned out to be the guy who had named Dasani the water. Okay. That Coca-Cola ended up buying. Anyway, he he came up with the name Dasani. He got introduced to us, and then we just had like a brainstorm session with him. And I and I said to him, like, we like this word super. It does it doesn't ha- the the name doesn't have to have the word super in it, but I would love that if possible. Um, and we were riffing on super something, super this, super, super uh whatever. And and then he just, I think, said, like, so you work alongside. Mm. your customers you're like really um kind of like part of their team and we were like oh yeah we work alongside and we're super that's super side (laughs) I love (laughs) that's literally what it was and we just we just knew when he said that out loud we just knew that was the name yeah that's so good I think you've just got to go through even though it can feel painful and long and laborious I just think you've got to go through that process sometimes. But yeah, it's like really it does stand out. It's memorable as well. So, Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I think so. so. And I, better, and I think better like, than Consus. I'm just gonna say Oh it. my gosh, yes. A hundred <laughs> times better than Consus. 
Yeah, it's memorable. And we knew that there was also other companies that had the name Super in it. There was like yeah. Supreme. There was this other big company that had come out called Superhuman that did yeah. that challenge Gmail and whatnot. So I was like, oh, it's possible that this could end up, you know, yeah. sounding a bit generic and ubiquitous, you know, five years from now. Uh, so we knew that the visual identity also had to stand out and had to really pull that super thread a lot yeah. more. Yeah. Um, so that's where we started that process. Okay. And yeah, and like one of the, I guess that's a, the visual identity is a big part of your brand. And, you know, we have evolved certainly over the last three years, um, but the core has remained the same. Mm. We, we always knew what, like what, what we want to stand for and that tonally we always wanted to be knowledgeable, but extremely friendly. Um, and we always knew that we had to constantly keep peddling this idea of like continuity and reliability mm. and flexibility and all of the things that SuperSight does really well. And so how does how do those words actually translate to the visuals and how you impart that feeling? That was super important to us. So everything we do, like homepage down to like an ebook or a guide or a webinar, you'll always see the same sort of design mm. elements. And it's always trying to like show like momentum and continuity and and all of that stuff reinforcing it yeah absolutely so good now obviously you are a marketing guru for taking oh, a business wow. like this let's go with that shall we I think that's a pretty good title I love guru <laughs> yeah let's go with guru better than ninja <laughs> Yeah, let's not go with Ninja. Uh, and so when you got in, what was their revenue level? Obviously, they were changing now to a subscription-based model. Yeah. And so did they Did they have any customers? Did you have any customers that came across at the time yes. that you already had? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we had, we had a few. So the one that I mentioned earlier in this podcast, um, who, and who's like still one of our top 10 customers, yeah, yeah. big healthcare company. Pharma, yeah. Um, and there was like a couple more, there was actually, uh, ironically, a couple of really mega agencies that loved us who would. You're like their secret well, weapon that they don't tell anybody about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have like stopped servicing agencies for a variety of reasons. First, it yeah. feels antithetical, antithetical to who we yeah. are, but also it's just, I mean, can I, I don't know if I can say the word shit, but it was yeah. a shit show. Yeah. It was, it was just a shit show because I they have like, all these brands that they work with and then they send all that through and it's all convoluted and you don't really understand what the goals are, the, the usual stuff. So we've yeah. kind of said, mm, that's really Makes not going to work. But yeah, absolutely. Like a bunch of customers came through, but most of them, um, yeah, I would say like, uh, I don't think we have, again. yeah, I don't think we have almost any except for like the couple that I can think of that, that are from that time. Yeah. Um, and so and, how did you, and so how did you then grow? Like what was your strategy yeah. now? So you've named yeah. the business, you've made a decision on the subscription model. Yeah. How did you go into that growth mode with the marketing that you were doing? Yeah. So I, so because we had a really good hypothesis and we had tested it and with on a few people and we had a couple of customers that were willing to sign on and be like the guinea pigs essentially and our beta customers for the subscription program that gave us a lot of hope right so that those people that were like okay cool let's do this um we had made money through the concess days through this pay-as-you-go model so we had money in the bank we had made like a million two million dollars um but we um and we had raised a small round i think we had raised 3.5 million right before i had joined 
Uh, so we had a little bit of that in the bank as well. And we had good run rate and we were willing to invest in marketing and all of that stuff. So I got a pretty healthy, um, I would say like a lot of leeway and a healthy enough budget from, from the, the founders. And they said, uh, we know that this can be successful. They were actually like, I, I use the word delusional politely, but we were all delusional. They were all delusional. Like we were so gung-ho and we were so positive and we were certain that this was going to work. Like we just knew it in our bones, it was going to work. Um, so I think that delusional nature kind of propelled us even further. Cause like, we just didn't even think about backing down. Um, so uh, yeah, so we, we set up, um, all of those foundations, we created a website, obviously, um, and we said, okay, what is the best? The first thing I said is, how do we actually get people in the door? And what is the process for selling them on it? So let's say Coca-Cola or whoever's interested. Now what? Like, how do I capture that lead? Where do they go? Do Is there a sales team? We had no sales team, we had nothing. So we said, okay, great. We're going to follow this like super efficient inbound model. It's a huge subscriber of that. We're going to do all of the right things to like attract people to us. So we're going to cast this big net and catch all types of fish. Maybe we'll catch some tuna. Maybe we'll catch some whales. Often we'll have the sardines, whatever, right? So we'll, we're going to catch all this fish. We'll sift through that. And anyone that's like, yep, I'm ready to talk to sales. We will then pass on to sales. And we had our, we had our VP of sales at the time. I think he was maybe like the only, uh, I think by then he had hired like a couple of people actually. So I think there's like three or four of us. Um, and they just took every call. Anyone that would want to talk to us and learn more, we would just pass it on to that team. Um, and we had like a great talk track and we, you know, we were still trying to suss out what the right use cases are. Uh, but through trial and error, they would um, close a lot of people and we would learn from that. So our first, I would say like the first thing we did was have a great message, have a sick website. Because, um, you know, in some ways we're, selling design yeah. and our own design has to be good in order yeah. to sell that. Right. So it had to be like really good. So we, we did that. And then um, we pumped for validation because we wanted to validate very quickly and have a very tight feedback loop. So we pumped money into Facebook and Instagram ads. Um, we actually what year did, is this? This is 2019. Oh, okay. This is like yeah. not that long ago. No, this is just three years ago. Wow. So we went okay. from zero to eight million subscription revenue in one year. It's insane. Um, okay. Yeah. And so but, this is so 2019, Instagram and Facebook ads. Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. We, we started with Instagram and Facebook only. Uh, and we did some Google AdWords and stuff, yeah. but that wasn't like high volumes. We just wanted to make sure like we had lots of leads in the door and we wanted to quickly figure out in like three or four months who's who's a good lead who's not a good lead who can be closed who can we not close right we wanted to learn that so we're like okay let's pump some money into this and validate our assumptions um that was sometimes facebook and instagram ads can take a long time to like get the hang of and get rolling um we we got there really fast like in the first month we had i want to say in the three three fifty range leads like we we actually had 350 wow. people say hey I'm I'm this is interesting I'm willing to talk to you guys so what was the message so I can't remember all of the messages yeah, yeah. but it was very simple I remember starting off with um simply saying so, so the main message was always around scale right? so we always said in our ads some way or another uh, are 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 you not necessarily as it posed as a question but basically like 
if you're looking for design at scale, um, okay. you know, you be super size the way for you. Um, and on the landing page, like you can only say so much in an ad and the yeah. rules were actually different back then as well. Um, but on the landing page, what we would explain is um, how we are more efficient than a typical agency model and also how we could end up being a lot more cost effective and reliable. So we always juxtaposed ourselves against the possible incumbent. There's essentially there's three, I would say for most mid-market enterprise companies, which is who we're going after, I'd say there's like three ways to get design done, um, particularly at scale. Either you have your own in-house team, an amazing design team, right? And you have every possible designer on the team. You maybe have a motion graphics guy, you've got an illustrator or whatever. Um, So a lot of companies do that. Or you have a bunch of agencies um, or you have a combination of those two. So we knew that who we're actually battling, like who our true enemy is partially the in-house team, but also the the agency. Mm. Now we can't go bad mouthing the in-house team. First of all, we don't know anything about them. Second of all, we need to be, they need to be buying us. They need to be our friends. Mm. So we obviously can't be juxtaposing ourselves against that team. So it was always on the landing page, it was always like, hey, we're like, um, you know, we would say words like we were what were one or two thirds of the cost or something or whatever. I can't remember, 50% of the cost of a traditional yeah. agency or a typical traditional agency. And we are um uh, 20x faster than hiring, we would say. So if you have to go out and hire, we know that takes three months. And like, imagine you're Amazon in Seattle, easily it's going to be three months before you hire an amazing designer. We've got staff ready and waiting. We can be up and running tomorrow. So I think that 20x number was quite magical for us. And people were like, oh yeah, if I if I just think about this against this idea of like, hiring a new person for my team. This is amazing. This message obviously works in a bull market, right? This this current reality right now, as of like late 2022 is very different. Mm-hmm. But in 2019, everyone's like, grow, grow, grow. Everyone's like, higher, higher, higher. Um, the, the problems at hand were, how do I do that fast enough? And how do I beat the competition? Yeah. And so if I can ask, what kind of ad spend did you have to hit 8 million in the 12 month period? I think we were spending close to $50,000 total on ads per month. Oh, per month. Okay. Per month. Yeah. Um, And that was split. I'd say a good 20% was against Google AdWords. We actually just ended up shutting that down entirely just because it wasn't bringing us the right traffic and quality. of Google AdWords. Yeah. Yeah. I I think because it's still so based on search, like it's taken inbound to the next level. You can't really target. So, so that, that, so I'd say like the bulk, eventually the bulk of that, I think after the first six months, the bulk of that 50,000 was on Facebook and Instagram and Instagram was just like a machine for us, like a machine. Like we were shocked how good Instagram was for us. Um, and, and we invested a lot in growing our organic social on Instagram as well. They both go kind of hand in hand. That's what I realized. Like you can't just have an amazing paid program. You have to have an amazing sort of organic social and reach and engagement program as well. Yeah. Amazing. And so what do you think, like when you look back now, there's a couple of questions I've got, um, I've got all the questions, uh, when you look back, was there anything else besides ads that you did that you felt really gave you traction or helped you to secure those clients? 
Yeah. Uh, part of it, again, comes down to the brand and the visual identity. You really have to find a way to stand out. I think we did that very creatively with our ads too. Anyone can run an ad. These days to get up and running on Facebook and Instagram takes like half a day of training. Like anyone can learn that, right? So that's not the differentiator. Anyone can pump money in and push a couple of buttons. The differentiator is in the message, the differentiator is in the continuity of that message Mm. to your website, right? Like that people forget about that. It's not just like what you say in the ad. It's like, what's the next step? Because like a lot of people will just go Google superside.com and it's like, Now, if it looks different or sounds different or is a different expectation that you've set, that's going to fall apart. So our conversion um, has always been very stable because we take care of all of those elements. Mm. And I'd say the third thing was we um, really prioritized like um, creative testing in our ads. So what I mean by that is you may, you may run a Facebook, Instagram ad, that's a winning ad for you. And it looks a certain way with the buttonism in the the bottom right corner. And it, maybe it has like a cute dog on it or whatever, right? I'm just making up examples. Um, Eventually your audience would have seen it a couple of times to the point where they now have ad fatigue. uh, And for whatever reason, perhaps they have not engaged with it. So it is almost like like it's formulaic now, but you have to refresh your creative and you have to do it at a cadence and, and, um, and I guess like a a good cadence, but you also have to kind of always be stepping up your game. So we took that because again, that's our business. We took that to heart and we just kept refreshing the creative inside the ad Mm -hmm. very, very often. So To answer your question more directly, we were very consistent with our message in all our web properties. Like, doesn't matter what, all our digital marketing had very straightforward, uh, simple, easy to understand messaging, but it was consistent everywhere you went. So was the visual identity. Uh, We tested creative like crazy. Like we had the first few people I hired um, other than on the growth side were all creatives. And like their main job was a, beyond just the brand identity, like their, their main job was like constantly testing new creative um, that would perform. So not just like coming up with stuff and being like, this is how it's going to be because my way is the way it is. Um, or, and this is cool. And because I'm the designer, so I know better. Like we really didn't follow that. We were like, no, let's just test it. Let's see what the data actually says. Um, I feel like part of this has become a bit of a cliche because everyone says like, let's go with the data. Let's go with what the data says. I don't but feel like still... people look at it enough. Yeah. I think I, people you know talk what? about it, but I don't know how well people do it. Especially with creative. It's such a funny thing. And this is slightly tangential to your question, but I'll say that <clears throat> on the designer side, what I've noticed having worked with hundreds of designers now there is a certain for I'm sorry for all the designers that are listening, but <laughs> there's a certain level of aristocracy almost like built in, you know, there's it, it. I think creatives in particular, especially if you've been around for a while and have had success, I think they can't look at the data because so much of their identity is about creating from scratch from mm-hmm. out of nothing. And when you do that, you're like, literally like, it's like a part of you that you're giving away to someone else. 
And so to say, oh, that might be wrong. And oh, wait, wait a second. Instagram is telling me something different that this like thing that I spent two minutes on is doing better than this thing that I spent like 10 hours on. Mm. That's hard for people. Um, yeah. My coach always yeah. says, cause they run a lot of ads. She's like, I always feel really upset because it's the really ugly ads that do the best. And <laughs> I she's, know, she's, I know. Just, she's like, you know, we'll spend, we'll do this amazing, like one with a gorgeous photo or great design. And she's like, and then just the black one with white text will yeah. like do 50 times better. And so, yeah. yeah, you've got to be testing and you can't be precious about what you think looks good. It's whatever yeah. works. Yeah, it's whatever works. And it has to still, of course, be as part and part of your universe, like never give that up. Um, but yeah, whatever works and whatever the whatever gets you consistent results. Um, so that was like, I'd say like the first four to six months of our life, like the bulk of what we were trying to figure out is like, who who is a good buyer for us? And so we just needed like lots of people in the door to figure that out. So in, in the first six months, we by the time we got to, I think we launched the, the site in September. So by the time we came to now March, 2020, you might recall a pandemic hit. I recall. Yeah. Uh, and so we were like, uh, this is weird. This is a curveball. What does this mean for us? And we were all like panicking. And, you know, I think in three months, everything was fine. Like we realized that uh, unfortunately there was like lockdowns, which forced uh, screen time to go up, which probably propelled more digital marketing, mm. which in turn led to more business for Superside. So actually for us, like the pandemic was, I, I think it gave us tailwinds. There's no easy way to prove it, but yeah. I suspect it gave us tailwinds. Yeah. Um, I feel like anybody think, that was in the digital space generally did yeah. pretty well. Like we were already yeah. set up for success. And yeah. then everybody else who then had to get online was now like, how do we do this? So people who were already online were yeah. kind of ahead of the curve. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. And the best part about all this was we're a fully remote company. We're fully distributed. We don't have a single okay. office. So we know how to do the whole async thing extremely well. We didn't have to adapt. And our customers were now looking to us to help power them because they didn't know how to do that. And so was the market. So actually just from a pure brand building standpoint, like we milked the whole, like we know how to do remote, right. Mm. As well. Um, yeah. which was helpful. Yeah. So, so after we got out of our initial shock, I think by the time we got to summer 2020 and we knew that, Hey, the things were going to be fine. We, um, started experimenting a lot more with other things. So we, we had brought on by then a content marketing person. Uh, she, she's been amazing. So we, she and I just like literally would brainstorm every single week and just come up with like new ideas, new things and formats that we wanted to test. We've done so many tests. I can't even remember all of them, but like at one what, point, though, what sort of content was she doing? Yeah. So, so we knew we wanted a blog that was a good mix of content that was search informed. So writing for things that people were already searching for, yeah. that's more like I'd say classic SEO style yeah. uh, blogging, which unfortunately is often not very creative or innovative. And you certainly can't tell like amazing stories through that, but it's a means to an end, right? So you're writing for search, you're writing for some search that's already happening in a certain amount of volume. Um, but the second part was we wanted to just create like a bit of a, almost like 
not necessarily having a community that was constantly talking with each other, but a sense of community and a sense of camaraderie, particularly through the uh, pandemic. So one of the examples of the things that we started, which was a total test and has become a huge um, driver of leads for us and driver of traffic for us, is this idea of a small, intimate, interactive, uh, almost I mean, it's like a, it's like an unwebinar. We call it an unwebinar, but it's it's not that different than a webinar. We we use a very interactive tool to kind of conduct this now. But we started off on just using Zoom, um, and we would invite, you know, we would have these like topics that we would uh, we would do one topic per month, and we would just publish the whole series and say, hey, we're do- for the next six months. We're and we called it the Gather and Grow um, unwebinar series. We wanted people to like gather and like all of us grow yeah. together. That was the whole vibe. Um, so we would say, hey, these are the topics we're covering in the next six months. These are the speakers we're going to have. Come join us. It's going to be super interactive. You can ask a question, of course, uh, but we're also going to be doing live teardowns. So if you have a business problem or you have a design specific business problem, we're going to like crack that for you on oh, this wow. call, essentially. Yeah. So that's that was the original idea. That's how it started. We did the first one and I had like a small bet with the CEO. The CEO was like, we won't even get 20 people, like 20 of the right people. And I was like, mm, no, I think I can. I, and so I have, this like, is mid pandemic. Yeah, this is mid pen. This is like, okay. I think we did this in June or yeah. July. The first yeah. one was, yeah, I think a first gathering growth was maybe in July of yeah. 2020. Um, and he was like 20 people. And I was just like, nah, I have, I have 20 marketing friends I can bring to this. I'm yeah. going to beat that number. And I, I think we had like 80 live with the on the on the thing uh which was like oh okay this is nice and everybody was like oh the webinar is dead everyone's online now they're confined to their computers no one's going to join this and I was just like no if it's the right content and the right vibe people will join you know people listen to podcasts all the time there's like you you know everyone's always like oh there's so many podcasts and it's like yeah but you still listen to the ones that you like yeah go out and seek them and find them yeah So, um, so yeah, that's how it started. And that's, that was just like a silly little conversation I think we had in a cafe and we was like, well, let's do this thing. And we're just going to call it gather and grow. And we just did it and it was awesome. And then we just did another and then another and another to the point that it's become so big that we have a full-time person dedicated to just this program now. Like all she does, this woman, Diana, who's incredible on our team, all she does is gather and grow. And she ran one today, actually funny enough on the topic of um, building a resilient brand uh, very similar to what we're talking about today. And we had 653 people. I was about to say, did you see a drop off after pandemic, but it's just grown. It's just grown. Yeah. Now we also have like a brand, like we have, we've got a nice email, you know, database built out. And so is this just for clients? This gather and grow is not, no, it's for anybody that wants to join. Um, We, collect uh you have to register we yeah, collect yeah. information so yeah. we generally know like hey of everyone that registers and joins these things we know about 25 percent are perhaps in our target market and we're okay with that we're this is a free-for-all anyone can come and learn and join and the way i think about it is hey you may not need superside today maybe your current employer does not need superside today but you might change jobs tomorrow and you might yeah. go to someone else that might need superside so for me, it's all about just like one, ensuring that people are having a good time and enjoying themselves and learning and connecting. But part two of that is just like, this is a very long-term game. We're not playing like this, like short-term game. Yeah, I love uh, it. 
Yeah, that's yeah. so good. And just my last question is just really around, you know, you were sort of saying that when you first started and you were doing Facebook and Instagram ads and it was a very like bull market, where do you think marketing is now? So mm-hmm. we're recording this in like August 2022. Um, where do you think, what do you think's working right now? And for my audience who might have subscription-based type businesses, what do you think they need to be aware of as well when it comes to their marketing and growing their audience? Right. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, this is obviously something everyone's been debating and trying to think about and crack. Um, I mean, listen, I I think it's obviously going to depend a little bit on the business that you're in. There's some businesses that are naturally a lot more recession friendly, um, yeah. healthcare, energy, et cetera. Right. So assuming you're not in one of those lines of, um, work or those sectors, um, I would say, I think it's important that no matter what size of business you are, you have a real pulse on your customers and how they're feeling and how they are reacting. Just as an example, not sure if this is scalable by any means, but like we've been talking to our customers. I've been, I've done six calls. I just started last week, but I've done six calls with different customers already. And my colleagues are chatting with customers one-to-one and we're, we're asking very open-ended questions about what is the direction that they've been given and how are they personally feeling? And that can actually tell you a lot. And I, and I write down, I mean, I don't know if you can see it, but I literally write down words that they use. And I try to see what common words come out of that. Um, yeah. So I write a lot of verbatims, like I'll be like this person from this customer said, blah, blah, blah. And I'll put it in comma. So I know that um, they yeah. actually said those words. And already, even in the six calls, I can see there's like some commonalities. So then I'll take that and use that in our messaging. This is just like a little trick, right? So, yeah. so that's, that's one, like reflect your customer's state of mind. That's tip one. And I would say the second thing is obviously everyone's conscious of, you know, even if that's not the case that they need to do this, optics can sometimes matter. So your your customers might, your listeners' customers might um, want to save money or they might want to appear like they're saving money. And so what you could consider is if you're a subscription business, maybe adjust your terms a little bit mm-hmm. or maybe find another way to add value that gives people more value for that same money that they're already spending with you. Perhaps they're locked into a contract with you, right? Maybe they've said, Hey, I'm going to pay you whatever, $10,000 every month for the next one year. And they're locked into a contract. Don't take that for granted. Try to provide more value if you can, Mm. depending on, you know, what's obviously possible. Um, So that would be the second thing. And I think the third thing is just like, really, I mean, necessity can kind of spurn a lot of great ideas and, and maybe, Part of me actually thinks <laughs> this this might be a bit controversial, but part of me actually thinks like it's maybe a good time for some businesses to try to pull ahead. Um, there's actually what tons you of research that? that's well, I think that in some ways, you know, it's kind of like, I'll give the stock market analogy. Like, you know, people will always say like, oh, this is a great time to buy. Or like the real estate, if you just look at real estate, Mm. house prices are crashing. If you have the money, it's a great chance to buy a house in a neighborhood that you might not have normally been able to afford. 
right? And not everyone's got that money to do it, obviously, but, um, and the same goes for the stock market. So I feel like the same goes for like growing a business and, and growing your brand. It's like, you can take some risks that perhaps you couldn't have taken when it was a bull market. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a rudimentary example would be, I mean, we're thinking about this ourselves, not that we would ever have a billboard at Times Square, but as an example, let's just, this is a hypothetical yeah. example. You could probably, if you could not ever afford a billboard on Times Square in New York, maybe you can now because yeah. prices have dropped. So like, I, that's, that's sort of what I mean. Like you can take some, you can place your bets and you can take some risks and do some bold stuff um, in a time where perhaps your competitors and the market in general isn't doing it. And so you have a greater chance of standing out and a greater chance of pulling ahead. And there's been some research from the last recession in 2008 yeah. and nine that kind of has showed that companies that invested in marketing have actually pulled ahead. So not I sure his history too. will repeat itself, but yeah. there's, yeah, there's, yeah, there's definitely something there. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. And I was listening to a podcast the other day um, from Russell Brunson, who's got click funnels and he was saying that as well. He's just like a lot of times when the market gets tired, everybody stops spending. He's like, but if you can keep spending, even if it's not at the same level, you'll find that there might be kind of more opportunity because you've got less competition, which I thought was really totally. interesting. Obviously ads are mystifying at the moment. Um, yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. not, they're not as great as they were, but I do think like whatever else there, there might be other opportunities to, yeah, take risks, be bold, think a little bit outside the box as well. So yeah. I love that. So good. Yeah. And that, and I, and I think spend is just a proxy for marketing activities, right? It doesn't have to be something you spend money on. It's just like, make your own gather and grow and try that. See, like you have inspired me. You have inspired (laughs) me. I actually did a survey um, recently of my subscribers. I usually send out a survey every year with just three questions and I get such good responses. Mm. And I was like, I think I'll run some like webinars or Zooms and take some of the topics, like some of the key topics that came through and be like, okay, like next week we're going to do one on, I don't know, growing your business or sales or whatever. And, you know, maybe we'll do another one on if you want to grow, but you don't know what to do, like how to figure that out. So those sorts of things. So I think that you just uh, reinforce the fact that I think that that's quite a good idea. So I think I might, might play good. with that. Yeah. And you yeah. already have a fan base. So yeah, you you yeah. don't have the worry of like no one showing up. No. <laughs> Although the fear is always there, Amrita. <laughs> it's like yeah, just me. it's so funny as a creator. I think yeah, you always you have to kind of keep yourself grounded. So I could yeah. I could see that for sure. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah. listen, thank you so much for sharing thank your you. story and all of your marketing tips. I just think it's always really interesting to hear what people have done and and even as a big company that's multi million dollar, just let's try this, let's try this, like let's just totally. give it a go and see. I just think that that's such an important mentality to constantly have in this market as well. Yeah, no, I absolutely. I mean, when people ask me like, what is marketing or how do you get started? I'm just like, honestly, everything's an experiment. It's if you can come up with a great way to just like do experiment after experiment and take the kernels of learnings and like apply them right away, you have a winning, like there's nothing else. It's maybe this is the computer science part that translated well to marketing because it's, it's really just a series of hypotheses 
that you have to either prove right or wrong. And once you know you're right and you're on the right track and you have a leading indicator, then you just like double down on that and make it better and better as you go. There you go. I love it. Great note to end on. So for those of my audience who want to check you out, we'll have all the links in the show notes as well, but where's the best place to find out more about Superside and connect with the community and all the rest of it? Oh my gosh. Yes, we would love that. So superside.com. And if there's any marketing people or creative people or designers listening, you can find a ton of resources in the learn section. We're also launching our own community, like our, a little platform where people can join, interact with each other, not really necessarily with just Superside. Um, and so that's launching next month. So you can come check that out as well. Amazing. Amazing. I have got a fantastic creative community, so I'm sure they'll be all up Ooh. in that. Um, But yeah, thanks so much. I really loved this chat as well. Thank you so much, Suze. Have a great day. You too. So you inspired? Did you get something from that interview? Because I think it's really important for me to obviously share like my insights with you and for me to have other incredible small businesses on the podcast. But I also think it's really great to connect with bigger businesses to see how they started, what they're doing and how they're thinking about things. You know, community is such an important thing. So it's really interesting to see that that's what they're pivoting towards. That's what they're really building on. And so, you know, what are you doing around how you're building your community, how you're thinking differently, you know, is a subscription membership model something that you could think about from a reoccurring revenue perspective. I think that there's so much happening in the market now that there's just no one way of doing things. So it's definitely worth having a think about, you know, how we can learn from different types of businesses. So I hope that you enjoyed that. I really enjoyed uh, my conversation as well with Amrita. Well, that's it for another week. It has been amazing to have you here as always. And remember to follow me on all socials at Suze Chadwick. But thanks so much for listening. Until next time, have an awesome week and make sure you keep playing big and branding bold.